Uh, you should have been here. It was when they were all here this last week. It was a fun time. And by fun time, I mean, like, you know how it is with our family. Yeah, it was 60% insane, 40% good memories. Sure. Yeah, that's roughly, yeah. that's roughly the, what I would the say. Ratio. Yeah. That's a pretty decent ratio, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least we don't have any percentage of trauma in there, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe like... Five percent of the craziness is trauma. So okay. like fifty-five percent crazy, five percent trauma, and then forty percent good times. Okay, you know? that's fair. Yeah. yeah, I could see that. Man, it's been a hot minute since we were on the podcast. It has been a hot minute since we were on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I don't have any excuse for that except life. We're busy people. I don't know. You know? You you went to France. I, I did go to France. That's an yeah. update. I went to France because we haven't done this since April. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think technically we haven't done it since March. Yeah, well, I think I started we've, in the job. we've not released anything since March or April. <laughs> Except now, that's a lie, because today I did, because it is July. Sorry, what was your question? No, I was saying I got a new job. Yeah, you got your new job. How do you like your new job? It's a good job. That's good. I'm glad. I could, I could see myself sticking with it for a while. That's good. And do you like uh, your... Are you st- still doing school right now? Are you... Good, bad. I'm not in mm-hmm. school, but I am like. I mean, it is summer. A presence in my life. Yeah, fair. And are you liking school? Or are you disliking school? Yeah, I think it's good. That's good. Hmm. What do you think, Rebecca? Does Ethan get cereal? Um. In what context am I giving Ethan cereal? Ethan is asking me if he can have some of my cereal. Mm. What kind of cereal is it? Ethan, what kind of cereal is the cereal? Captain it's like it's like the mom brand the mom brand Captain Crunch. The multi-meal Captain Crunch. Okay. Um I mean, given that it's a big bag, I'm gonna say yeah, he could probably have some of your cereal. I don't think you'd miss a bowl. Given that it's a big bag, I'm gonna say yeah. You can have some. I'm not going to miss a bowl. Okay. You quoted me word for word on that. I love that. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Screenwalkers. I am Josh. I'm Becca. (laughs) And Uh, you can put this wherever you want, Rebecca. You want to stick it at the end? Clip it out and stick it at the end. Clip (laughs) it out and stick it at the beginning. Stick it right in the middle. Good heavens. That's just... That's the sound clip just right there for you. Beautiful. Thank you so much. You didn't do the full thing, but that's okay. Oh, sorry. What is it? <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> Hello and welcome to Screenwalkers. It's, yeah, it's pinned. The show where we tell you what's on our screens. You're close. Hello and welcome to Screenwalkers, a brother-sister podcast. I'm not going to do that voice. <laughs> Okay. Hello and welcome to Screenwalkers, a brother-sister podcast where we, the walkers, tell you what's on our screens. My name is Josh. And my name is Becca. Yay. Yay. Good job. Okay, so I guess from kind of what we came up with, uh, this is going to be kind of the first ever episode of what I have termed as the Screenwalkers Variety Hour. 
which is just where we don't really have like a set topic in mind for the whole episode. We both have a couple things that we want to talk about, and we'll see where the conversation takes us. And that's just what's going to happen. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it'll be good. It will. Screen walkers are right. They are. Um, so really quickly, first, though, we should do um, the two topics of the episodes that I lost and just really quickly get those back so that we can say that we've talked about them and not have to re-record whole episodes on them. <laughs> that's <laughs> Ah, that's what I can talk about. I can redo my rant about the kind of Monte Cristo. Oh, that's the other thing I could talk about. Ah, uh, this could just be this could just be Screenwalker's Josh rants, or just Screen Screenwalker's rants. We could just rant about stuff that we don't like. Nice. So, Can of Monte Cristo, and what else are you ranting about? Can of Monte Cristo and AC Valhalla. Oh right. <laughs> yes. Really quickly, um, the first one that the first episode that we lost was the Screenwalker's Guide to Classic Literature. Yeah, I really think that we should go back and make an episode with at least some of that content in it at some point. Yeah, I do kind of want to do another episode on books because we haven't done like a full episode dedicated to books yet. Yeah. Besides, you know, the one that we lost. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The the lost episodes. Yeah, and then the other one was also just obscenely long video essays again, which... Oh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of a Screenwalker's variety hour in and of itself, because like, I could just talk about the random topics that are in that playlist for hours. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Okay, I'm going to make a note. Mm, what's note. the note? Just things that I can rant about. Nice. <laughs> Top the the time of this one. Uh, new... No, take a, take a note. AC Valhalla. It's because I was sitting in church and I remembered that part with the freaking wicker man. It's like, like in a game full of historical offenses, that is the worst one. That's just blatant. That and like, what's the freaking thing? Ethan, what's it called when the Viking like opens your back and spreads your ribs out? Blog of Eagle, yeah. Okay, so what should we... Do you want to keep going on AC Valhalla to start us off? Yeah, let's start on AC Valhalla. Okay. Tear them uh, apart. Get them. I, want a, I want a disclaimer first. I'm not a historian. I'm <laughs> merely a fan of historical things. And as such, I'm a fan of historical authenticity. <laughs> and there's like... There's just some aspects of AC Valhalla where they take something that's like maybe it's commonly known or maybe it's uh, like a literary device or maybe it's even speculative. Like, oh, maybe there was some of this that happened in this age, right? And they blow it up and they're like, this is the sickest thing you've ever seen, right? And it's like, that's not, no, you're doing this all wrong, right? Sure, sure. So first off, first off, one of the characters, um, let me pull up the, I'm sorry, what? Hmm. The social stealth concept from earlier Assassin's Creed games returns. Eivor can hide from enemies, not only in stationary environmental objects, but can pull down the hood and slip into certain crowds to use them as cover. Eivor can feign death. Where can Eivor feign death? That's not a mechanic I'm familiar with. You just pretend to die. You're like, you get hit and you're like, oh, I'm dead. Maybe it's like if you lay still after getting injured and like don't immediately go to get up. I don't know. I don't think I ever encountered that. That's interesting. That is interesting. If I still had the game, I would try it out. I don't have the game anymore. You don't have the. Did you just not re-download it? Or did you? What happened? Uh, I had oh, it because it was Stadia. on. It was on Stadia, of course. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I still have it. I bought it on my PS4. Maybe I can re-download it and see. Try it out. Yeah. Okay. So first off, like for the most part in this game, it's very like hills and valleys for me, right? Like good parts, bad parts. Good parts, bad parts. And in the early parts of me playing this game. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with this game, 
you're basically a Viking in the early times of the Vikings taking over parts of England, and that is interspersed with several Nordic myths. Yep. <laughs> the first part, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Like, actually, I really like the setting. It's a cool to like run around kind of this wildernessy England. Um, and I was enjoying that. Like, I was enjoying just running around, having fun in wilderness England. I get to the myth part, right, where you're playing as quote unquote Odin, and it's like pulling teeth. First off, it doesn't feel at all like you would want a myth to feel like. I think. That's that's my personal opinion. It feels way too grounded to be myth. And it messes with the story of the myths and the order that the myths take place in. From what we know about the myths, mostly from the poetic and prose eddas, way too much. Like, it's supposed to be that you go in and you're like super close to Ragnarok. And so you're freaking out. And it's at that point that they hire the giant guy to build the wall around uh, Asgard. What in the myth, that's like the first thing they do after making Asgard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of silly, huh? Yeah. So it feels like they want to uh, like remind you of these parts of the myths, but not actually have the authenticity there. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of the MO of Assassin's Creed generally, is they are very willing to bend and sometimes break uh, rules about historical portrayal if it gets in the way of the fun. Yeah. It just also wasn't fun. It was like a slog. (laughs) You know what? That is true. It's, yeah. Literally, like, like, I went there and it's like, hey, congratulations, you have to be 20 levels higher, and can you go back? Nope, you can't go back. You just gotta suffer through these fights over and over again. Ah, it was so bad. Yeah, the uh, the Valhalla bits of the game were absolutely the worst. Yeah. So good. boring. I got stuck so hard on the Fenrir fight uh-huh. for, like, ages. Oh, it's obnoxious. Ages, yeah. And, like, I feel like, I feel like because you're there, right? You your character is there, and you could have the chance to interact with these stories. You could see the relationship between Tyr and uh, Fenrir, right? Or you could see the effect that chaining up Fenrir has on Loki. But you don't really see that. That's not the point of these stories in the setting of the game. I feel like, and that's a shame. I think. Yeah, I feel like there was a way to make it a lot cooler without compromising so much on the historical authenticity, and they didn't really yeah. manage to do it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyways, so that's about the myths. But then the game makes several... By the end of the game, I was so frustrated with the historicity part of it, too. The England part. So you meet Alfred the the Great. He's just King Alfred at the time. Which, like... Alfred the Great is one of my historical boys. He did a lot of really cool stuff. He was very well known for being a very educated man at the time. And one of his main focuses throughout his life was helping his kingdom to be more educated. Which is really cool. And not something at all that they at all like go into in any sort of way in the game. So he's portrayed, because you're a Viking, you're a pagan obviously right you worship the norse gods and he's portrayed as this like scheming sly sinister christian trying to get you baptized and trying to push the norse out of here get them baptized and i'm like (laughs) oh my gosh but at the same time i was kind of admiring it because he's like the only smart character in the game he's smarter than you the player character because i avor's kind of an idiot (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I think Eivor's an idiot. Yeah, Eivor's very stupid. What I found so stupid about Eivor generally is that like, they kind of started playing with the mechanic that was in uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey where you could pick between a boy and a girl, right? Where they were like two separate characters. Uh-huh. 
But like in Valhalla, they're kind of expecting you to believe that like oh, the machine is breaking down. We can't actually really tell if Eivor was a male or a female. So the thing uh-huh. is just going to flip-flop sometimes. And you don't really have any control over that. Sorry. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I guess. This isn't as groundbreaking a portrayal of gender as you think it is, though. Like, sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's something else. It no, I think, they, I think they should have like stuck with a character and gone with that character. Right. And if they wanted to go the direction of groundbreaking feminine portrayal, they could have made the character a woman, right? And just stuck with that, but they didn't. And as a result, Eivor feels very half-baked. Yeah. It feels a bit like, you know, I don't know if you've ever played, how far have you ever played into Skyrim? Literally never all that far. I think the farthest I've ever gotten was defeating the first dragon. Okay. Like, I can get up to Whiterun, and uh-huh. I can talk to the Jarl, and then I can go fight the dragon. Yeah. And then I get so bored after that. <laughs> okay. So Actually, you I, know what? Sometimes I have gone up to the mountain to speak with Parthenax, and then I get uh-huh. really bored, and then I quit. That's, yeah. right. That's fair. That's fair. So I've done a play through the whole story, at least, like, the main stories uh, once. That includes, like, the the Civil War and defeating Alduin. Thank you, Ethan. Oh, Alduin's like, horn. That's where that comes from. Killing Alduin, right? Yeah. I've done. I've. I did all the main quests. I didn't do every single quest. I'm not a psychopath. I'm sorry. That oh. was offensive. If you've done all the quests, <laughs> that's very impressive. <laughs> I'm not going to do all the quests. Honestly, I think some of the biggest Skyrim YouTubers haven't ever completed all of the quests. I think that they just stick around in the mods. Like another, like uh, what's this, Doug? Doug. I know Doug that Doug. very specifically has done like. Almost nothing outside of the mods. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. He's like, talking he's about one of, during the, video. I mean, to be fair, he's the only Skyrim YouTuber I know, but he hasn't done like yeah. hardly anything. So Yeah. And he's so he, he claims that it's one of his favorite games. That's the difference between him and I, is that uh-huh. he loves Skyrim because he's modded the heck out of it. And uh-huh. I hate Skyrim because it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, maybe it's I should so, try modding. It's- it's so fun to get like I'm I'm not trying to bang on Skyrim here. It is so fun to get into like the light because there's so much writing that's been done in that game. And there's so much work that's been done in the years since it's come out to help helps to improve the game and make it really this phenomenal masterclass in an open world style of game. There's a reason that it's very much a benchmark uh when people talk about open world gaming nowadays right it deserves all, every bit of that but there's this aspect of the game where um because your character doesn't have a name that they can say because that's not something that they are equipped with obviously um they will call you dragonborn after they learn that you're a dragonborn and there's this part where you're like trying to mediate a dispute between it's the civil war right so you're trying to like mediate the dispute for the civil war and figure out who gets what as a result of it yeah and they're like dragonborn what do you think and like like this general dude right he's like dragonborn what do you think and then the freaking Jarl Ulfrith is like is like dragonborn what do you think of this idea and I'm like I'm sorry because so during this specifically during this run, I just like sped through the storylines, and I was like, I'm pretty sure like a week ago, I was a prisoner on the back of a wagon, and now I'm being asked to mediate the most important political discussion in the history of this land. Are you kidding me? And it pulled me right out of the story because I hadn't taken the time to like properly set it up, and that's what it feels like in AC Valhalla. You become just the dude. And everyone's like, oh, it's Eivor. He can fix our problems. What's up, dude? And, it's, you know, it just doesn't feel realistic. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. No, for sure. Okay. So at the it's, end yeah. of the story, I kind of wish that people, like, would finish the story just because the portrayal of Alfred does get better. You actually have a conversation with him that's taken straight from, like, uh, semi-historical accounts. There's this story of King Alfred that uh, while he's in hiding... So 
basically what happened is the Danes came in and they took over and he was forced like kind of out of his kingdom and into hiding for a bit before he got an army and reconquered. And there's a story where he goes and he's like living in a uh, peasant woman's house and she doesn't know who he is. And she asks him to watch the the loaves as they bake. And he like forgets to do it. And she chastises him. And it's kind of a funny story, right? Because he's like the king. And they actually, they kind of incorporate that into the story. So you go to see him while he's in, uh, while he's kind of in exile. And he's at this little house. And this woman asks him to watch the loaves. And then he and you have a conversation. And obviously the, bread burns because of that and i think that's fun but also you get to see the gentler side of him the side of him that's really earnest you learn that he's actually like you you could kind of spend the whole game thinking that he's in charge of i don't know what they're fetching called the league of shadows you know the the, the big secret organization that's evil and he is but his christian values uh they con- conflict with it and so he uh is actually taking it down from the inside, which is cool. I think, right? Like he is inheriting this position that he doesn't necessarily want. And so he's disassembling it and trying to make something that he sees is better. uh, That aligns with his morals and his values. I think that's good writing. I think that's really cool. But the rest of the game is so garbage. And it's so unfair that they buried that good writing under 80 to a hundred hours of, Bull crap! Like, <laughs> yeah, run, go, go here, go fight these go guys. Here. Okay, go, here. go yeah. here, go fight these guys. You know, it's just yeah. all okay. It, would, it get... was, it was so bad. I literally did not remember a single NPC the entire game. Yeah. My favorite NPC is the Jarl, or not the, not the Jarl, the um, the little soldier that I made to go fight on cruise with other players. That's my favorite <laughs> NPC. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, <laughs> like That's I don't fantastic. remember any of their names i could not tell you a single one like oh, so good, though. but like the so character good. which is so disappointing after odyssey was so good the characterization and the relationships that are in odyssey are like sure they're not perfect but they yeah. were memorable i remember barnabas uh-huh. he was great love barnabas yeah. and marcos uh-huh. is so funny and phoebe and uh, herodotus was great and like i loved all of those and, and why couldn't that- they have done the same thing yeah I think that helped too, right? In that they were sort of traveling with you. Like, but so much of the game required you getting on your boat and going with them. Yeah, for sure. And seeing things with them, right? With uh, Barnabas and with uh, Herodotus. That it, it made it feel that much like that much more connected to, to the people. Whereas with Eivor, you just. You can go run off wherever you want, you know, and like nothing else matters. None of these characters, and <laughs> it's that freaking Sigurd, your half brother or whatever it is. Your he, he, the character, is so uninterested in this plot that he goes off and does his own thing for like ninety percent of the video game. You can literally steal that guy's wife, and he won't care. He doesn't like, care at all. He doesn't care. Oh, he doesn't give a crap. Like, Anyways, okay, now I need to get <laughs> I need to get to the crown on the stinky stinky head of this pile of garbage. He sucks so bad. He's really the worst. I need to look at And like that. I think that this is something that was done so much better in Red Dead Redemption 2. Genuinely uh, so much better. All of the characters in Red Dead are so much more interesting. I was yes. invested in all of their stories. Fascinating. And like the idea of staying with a man in charge because you know he's you love him but even though he kind of sucks and is like actively manipulating you that's all there in dutch and arthur's story right like all that has done so much better if you Uh like are looking for what was missing in ac valhalla it's in red dead redemption 2 just go play that like and like i wasn't invested in any of the storyline about the brotherhood either yeah, which sucks because that's what the next game is going to be about, and that one actually does look really, really cool. I hope it turns out good. Yeah, because I love the idea of it being set in Baghdad during the Golden Age. Like that sounds amazing. Uh-huh. Give me that. I am yeah, so ready for it. It looks like they've really taken a look at 
the core of their gameplay and their storytelling. And I, like, at least this is, that's what I hope they're doing, right? Is focusing back on what made their original games good and lovable and very, very popular. And I'm hoping to God they don't bring the framing story back. I have never been a fan. Like, even back in the original Assassin's Creed trilogy days, when, like, Kristen Bell was in it, and everybody loved Kristen Bell, uh, (laughs) like, the frame story for Assassin's Creed has never been good. No. It's It's always been terrible. It's so boring. It's so bland. That's why Watch Dogs failed so hard, is because it's, like, the (laughs) Assassin's Creed frame story... But that's it. It's that's, just the frame story. The frame story. <laughs> and it sucked, and that's why. <laughs> yeah, but then they made two more video games. Yeah, I know. Because they're Ubisoft. Okay. <clears throat> I think... I'm, look, try, I'm looking at the map. It's been so long since I played this game. It might be... Uh, Gloucester On the map. Or Hamptonshire. I, I don't remember. <laughs> which is where I think it was Gloucester. Uh-huh. Uh, which so you go there, and it's like supposed to be because it's 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 basically as far west on the map as you, you can go, and the map only covers counties with counties loosely defined. Uh, counties are a nightmare in England, but it only it only covers counties in England itself, not Scotland or Wales. So they wanted to put like a little bit of Wales in there, I think. So. Uh, like you do the Mary Lou thing, you dress up with uh, a horse's skull, and you go around to houses and engage them in a battle of wits or rhymes, uh, which is fun and fine. You know, it's whatever. Fun little bit of gameplay that's trying to be historically authentic, but they have a Wicker Man celebration. Yep. Um, okay, so here's the thing: the main source for the Wicker Man. Uh, is actually Julius Caesar. What? Really? Yeah, seriously. Uh, when he was in Britain, he was like, yeah, the Celts, the, not the Celts, oh my gosh. The Celts, the, Celts. Do this, the Celts do this crazy thing where they build a giant wicker man and then they put like prisoners inside or they put like criminals inside or if they don't have criminals, sometimes they just put randos inside and then they burn it and it's like a it's a sacrifice to their gods, right? And there is some historical documentation and some historical evidence of the Celts practicing some human sacrifice and animal sacrifice. That wasn't a big thing to the Romans, right? Because they also practiced animal sacrifice. For sure. Um, but like the scarcity of actual reports of or or historical evidence of the Wicker Man makes historians believe that Julius Caesar was probably at least embellishing it, if not kind of just making it up to make the Celts look bad. Right? Because this is what you do. Like, they're they're crazy wild men, they're barbarians, and you want to publicize that and you want that to be known, right? So even even if he wasn't necessarily, like, meaning to do it, this is a different culture that's doing something else, and he doesn't necessarily know what they're doing. So he would think it's creepy, right? Anyways, anyways. So yep. this happened, this, this, this account of this happening happened during Julius Caesar's time. That is firmly in the BC, right? And firmly. so the devs of this game, of AC Valhalla, looked at that and thought, what if we put that a thousand years later in Christian England? <laughs> not only that, not only that, because the only accounts we have of this are that the people that are put inside are criminals or prisoners or just low-life randos if there's none of those guys. How about instead they burn their king Cause that makes sense. I want to burn my king, don't you, Ethan? Ethan, Ethan, if you had a wicker man and there was one person you going to put inside of it, and you were a uh, first century a not first century eighth century A.D. Englishman, would you put your king in there? 
No, it doesn't make any sense, and there's no <laughs> historical documentation for it. It's the dumbest decision I've ever seen. Ah! I was like, like literally, like I think part of the game is like you convincing him to go through with it. And I was like, if he actually does this, that's on him. Like that is the dumbest decision that has ever been made. Yeah, literally. I was like, they're not really gonna burn him, are they? Like, it's gonna be like a, it's gonna be like a, like an effigy, right? Like they're they're gonna put like a fake guy in there that's supposed to be him. And no, no, they burn their king. Oh my god. That's so funny. That's, That's literally like so the, funny. The level of quality, right? Or like the we talked about it earlier, the blood eagle. Like yeah. it's a tested, it's a tested specifically in sagas, um, and it's not sure. There's an ongoing debate about whether whether it's an actual authentic practice, a mislantration, mistranslation of the original text, or if it's a literary literary invention that's just you know, invention. Like yeah, making things up. Yep, and they they took that and they're like, okay, this is definitely a thing that this uh Viking guy is going to do to prove how much of an idiot and crazy person he is. Anyways, I need to stop talking about this. <laughs> that's it's a dumb yeah. game. That's a very dumb game. So dumb. So dumb. Just be like ten percent more historically authentic. Don't. I liked don't the. To fairy tales. Yeah, I re- I really I liked the um the mechanic in the game where you go to storm villages. I wish that they'd done more of that. Yeah. Cause like there were very specific ones that you could do, but like once you did them the first time, they like didn't like, which I guess would work like literally. Cause like if you siege a place once and you ransack it for all it's worth, then it's not going to have a lot the next time you go back. But like, yeah, it was the only rewarding mechanic of the game. Uh-huh. And I like to be met with diminishing returns each time. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. So moral moral of the story: If you want to play a Viking game, don't play AC Valhalla. Go play Valheim instead. Uh, I also really like. Uh... There's one by Thunder Lotus that's Viking themed that I thought was really good. I don't remember what it's called. Oh yeah. Uh, maybe it's called Yotun. Let me check. Yes, it's called Yotun, and it's like a kind of 3D isometric thing that it's all hand animated. It's really cool and lots of fun. Cool. Is it my turn now? Do I get to talk about football? Seventeen thousand seven hundred seventy-six. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I found this literally today, but it first came out in 2017. I was looking at it. It came out over a period of two weeks on SB Nation's website. Um, I don't know if you know SB Nation. It's Vox's like sports website. Um, it's you know pretty similar to ESPN. They do reporting. But 17,776 football is insane. Okay. So, let me tell you about it. It was so good. So what it is, it's a multimedia, uh, like, speculative fiction narrative that investigates what it might be like if humans, A, stopped aging and dying. Okay. B, found a way to make it so that they would never be injured or killed by accident. Like, (laughs) C... The other big thing is that um, they didn't find anything out in the universe. Like, there are no aliens, there is no space travel. And so, kind of what happens in this world that they've created is that play becomes, like, the big thing. Because when you've solved all of your other problems, the only other problem you have to solve is boredom. Yeah. So the big thing in the United States becomes football. But football becomes crazy. Like, insane crazy. So, like... Mm -hmm. There's so many fun ways that they explore this concept of, like, what if you could remove all of the rules of football, except for, like, the most basic ones, and just go crazy. And it's amazing. So, like, my favorite one is they um, chronicle a football game between a team, I think it's in Mexico, and I think a team in Canada, or maybe it's, like, New Mexico and Washington or something. And so they draw this line for this team where it's the border, the end zones are 
like Canada and Mexico, and, but and then the field runs the entirety of like the American West. So like it goes down through Idaho, through Utah, um, uh -huh. and then through Arizona down to. <laughs> this, it's, I think it's a bureaucratic error that makes it so that the field is only like about fifty yards wide. You know, like the standard length of a football field. Uh -huh. um, yeah. Uh, um, but then you know, like hundreds and hundreds of miles long, and so. Like there's at one point they accidentally get stuck in a gulch. I think it's Horseshoe Bend, literally, and they can't get out of Horseshoe Bend because like they can't go around to climb up. And then yeah. the teams like keep pulling each other back down whenever one of them tries to climb out. And they've oh just been God. stuck in the gulch for like thousands of years because none of them will ever die. And the only thing that they're ever going to do is play this game because uh -huh. like otherwise they'll be bored. Yeah, and it's incredible. It's amazing. It's so funny. I'm not even doing it justice. It's so it, the main character it starts off with um calendars all you see is a bunch of calendars and it's like mm -hmm. dictating a bunch of years and over the course of the calendars that it is showing you you are seeing this narrative between two people it's very very similar to uh it's almost kind of similar in tone to you know the minecraft ending yeah the minecraft you know ending. where it's like two things having a conversation right uh-huh so it's a very vague conversation between these like two entities, and eventually it's revealed that uh, they are Pioneer Nine and Pioneer Ten, the space probes from like the sixties, um, and they've become sentient, <laughs> and they also spend their time just watching football on Earth because like what else are they going to do? There's no life anywhere else, uh -huh. right? And they also have um, a friend called Juice, who is I, I think a French space probe that launched way more recently, like twenty twenty two maybe. Um, mm -hmm. And it's literally is so funny. Like the characters that they introduce are so interesting. And like you are kind of joining uh, 10 as he's kind of waking up. No, he, sorry, you're joining nine as he, he's like kind of first gaining sentience and waking up to this concept in this world. And you're kind of being introduced along with him. Right. And you're experiencing this world in which all humans have left to do is play. And, like, it gets so tender and deep on, you know, the ways that life is still worth living when the only thing you have to do is play. And, like, I don't know. It's just, it was really excellent, and I really enjoyed it. And as I was sitting here getting ready for the to tape the podcast, I discovered there's a sequel called uh, 20,020. And it's just a sequel, and I'm so excited. I want to read it, and <laughs> I'm going to read yeah, it right after we're done. And it's it's it was so good. There are not words. It is bonkers absurd. It is heartfelt. It is tender. It is so inventive. Like if you're into like non traditional storytelling, this is amazing. It's so good. It's like I said, it's multimedia. So there's like videos. There's gifs. There's like conversation logs. It's it's incredible, and you have to read it. It's so good. <laughs> It's amazing. I'm losing my mind. It was amazing. And I like, yeah, it was so, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely it. I loved it. It's, oh my gosh. I could, I'm going to be thinking about it for ages. Like, I wish that I could write something this inventive, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, how did you even come up with the concept? Like, that's an insane concept. Like, where did you come up with, like, it was so good. Yeah. What else? Um, what was your other thing that you wanted to talk about? I don't know. I'm not really feeling kind of Monte Cristo anymore. I That's fair. You, you kind of got your anger out. Got my ranting out. Oh, well. Do you want to talk about how much you like Count of Monte Cristo? Mm, okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> right. If I, if I talk about the Count of Monte Cristo, just the book, I'm probably going to end up talking about the movie anyway. Yeah, you tend to do. I'll do it. I'll do it. Here we go. Oh, people, people like, people like this movie, and that's fine. You can like movie, whatever movie you want. Sure. But people like this movie because it has Dumbledore in it, and that's not a valid reason to appreciate the movie. Um, they're like, oh, like he's like my grandpa, you know? I'm like, that's fine. Like Richard Harris was a good actor. That's okay. You can like Richard Harris. And Richard Harris is good in this. I'm not trying to say he was bad. But, like, just because Richard Harris is in this movie does not make it a good movie. Just because Henry Cavill is in this movie does not make it a good movie. Facts. Just because 
Luis Guzman is in this movie doesn't make it a good movie. But it could, because Luis Guzman is a fantastic, hilarious actor. He really is. He's so funny. Very funny. Is you sound like <laughs> you sound like an episode of Community right now? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Luis Guzman. <laughs> Luis Guzman. He's great. He's like there are one thing, and he doesn't even remember going here. Yep. <sighs> Incredible. Yeah, it's so good. Um, okay. Anyways, the problem with this movie is that it uh, it cannot possibly like. Stand up to the complexity of the Count of Monte Cristo, which is fair. Like you, you could never do the book justice in a two and a half hour movie, even in like a four hour movie. It's just way too complex. Yeah, and it's not like it's not like uh, Les Misérables, right? Where most of this actual book is just backstory for every single character. I'm being a little shitty to it. Um, it doesn't deserve that. Yeah, and that's just kind of how books were back then, though. I mean, yeah. when you're serializing it and you have to make sure that people remember who you're talking about, you give yeah. them whole stories. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it just the the movie cuts out so much of what is actually important to the character of the count that it ends up kind of nullifying the whole character in and of itself. Edmund Dantes is a man who becomes consumed by revenge. Right. So first off, mm -hmm. uh, he is a, he's a sailor on a ship and he gets a promotion that his, uh, shipmate, whose name is Danglars, uh, doesn't get it. Like he's promoted over Danglars. And, mm -hmm. Glarus is mad about that, right? Because he wanted the promotion. Uh, but on this last voyage, the reason that he's promoted is because it's his captain's death. His captain's dying wish was sa he said, land at the island of Elba. I have this letter. Give it to Napoleon. Uh, at this time in history, Napoleon was in exile on the island of Elba. In case you needed that. I don't know. I don't know you. You, the person listening to this podcast, I don't know who, what you know about the history of <laughs> Napoleon. I'm sure Dad knew. I don't know yeah. about anybody else, though. Yeah, uh, Ethan probably knows, uh, oh, but yeah, Ethan also Ethan. doesn't really listen to the podcast. So, for shame, not even his own yeah. episodes. Come on, man. Well, his his excuse is that he like always he always hears it while I'm recording, right? Yeah, but he never hears my bits. That's Come true. On, man. That's true. I think I think Ethan could listen to him. I think Ethan I think Ethan should listen to the podcast. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so uh he gets this message back this letter back from Napoleon. They sail back to Marseille, which is where they're from in, in the France. south of France. Very fancy, very hot. Yeah. Not like the rest of France. This is like pretty France. Fancy France. Fancy France. This is this is the Caribbean France. I'm sorry. This is the Mediterranean France. There Goodness, you go. can you cut that out, please? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Thanks. They go uh, back, and he's like, "Great, my girlfriend Mercedes, uh, who I'm going to call Mercedes, even though that's not how you pronounce it." Yeah, nobody uh, cares. Go. We're on. gonna pretend that she's a car. He's like, okay. we're going to marry. Uh, there's a guy there who's like, I think technically Mercedes is like second cousin or maybe just cousin, but he also like is in love with her because French people in the 1800s, of course. Yes, he's like, I love Mercedes, and Edmund's like, I love Mercedes, and Mercedes is like, I love Edmund, and they're like, great, let's get married, and. Fernand is like, oh no. What what was me? My the love of my life is getting married to someone else. Whoa, whoa, uh, whoa. So he goes to a bar. Uh that's Fernand, by the way. Fernand goes to a bar, uh -huh. Dinglars happens to be there, and Dinglars is like, Hey, so I know that Edmund has this letter from Napoleon that could incriminate him, uh that he's possibly an imperialist and not uh Royalist? Is that the word? Monarchist? Sure, yeah. Right. So he's not he doesn't he doesn't support the monarchy, he supports 
the Empire. Uh, and that could get him sent to jail. And then you get you what you want, I get what I want, vis-a-vis you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Sure. Um, so they, I think that what they do is they send a letter to the police. The police come as uh, Edmund and Mercedes are having like their pre-wedding party and arrest Edmund, and he's taken to a judge um, whose name is Vilfor. And Vilfor is the real villain of this story. It's not... Everyone always makes it about Fernand. It's not about Fernand. It's about Vilfor. Yeah, so Vilfor is like, oh, yeah, this is totally an accident. Uh, I'll totally let you go. Like, I can clearly see that this letter is not about you. Like, you're just you're just an innocent messenger that Napoleon is using, right? But then he reads the letter, and the letter coincidence of coincidences is to his dad the senior mr villefort who is definitely a bonapartist and he's like crap if it comes out that my dad um like you know supports bonaparte then my career will be ruined and so he burns the letter and he has edmund sent to the chateau d'if uh and basically at the chateau d'if like uh, especially because what happens next is Napoleon comes in and like overtakes France and becomes king for like a hundred days or something. It's not a very long time. And then he's deposed again and sent to a different island where he lives the rest of his life. Not important. That's your little Napoleon history for the day. Because of that, like, you know, the, the record keeping for the prison is not great already. And that just makes it worse. And Edmund slowly loses his um like identity into just becoming a prisoner of Deep. and he's only known as i can't remember what number he is but like this this prisoner number right that's what he's known as that's what that's the only identity that he has he volunteers he's like hey edwin i'll teach you to be a smart guy and also uh i know about this place called monte cristo where there's a bunch of gold that we can go to get together uh and also i'm going to piece together using my super intelligent brain uh the you are in fact uh, not like this. Isn't just so. So this whole time, like the however many years that is that been, he's been in the Chateau d'If, he's believed that it's like all just been a misunderstanding. <clears throat> and Abbe Fouillet is like, actually, like using my super smart brain, I can tell that this is like a case of deception and intrigue, and like involves these three specific people <laughs> that you told told me about with my super brain. Uh, he's a little bit like that. <laughs> And also, they, they're going to escape together, right? So that's the pun they make. Um, unfortunately, the Abbe dies before they escape. And so what he does is he uh, puts himself into the burial shroud of the Abbe, puts the Abbe in his cell, and then uh, in the Abbe's place is thrown alive into the ocean, cuts himself free with a knife, and uh, is it has escaped from the prison. Up to that point, the movie is actually pretty accurate to the book. That's like the pe- part that people know the most. However, I'm not going to be that. That was a very like elongated summary, and I'm just going to say for the rest of it that like it gets so much wrong, and it's all about like Mercedes and Edmund and their love still being a thing despite her being married to Fernand now. And at the end of the movie, like they fall in love again. Like, he gets the girl, basically. And, like, everything that he wanted, like, comes true and he's happy. But that's not how it is in the book. It specifically is not that way in the book because they have this conversation. They have a conversation about how she is no longer the Mercedes she used to be, and he is definitely not Edmondantes anymore. He has been consumed by revenge and hatred and that's not something that she can fix, and that's not something like that's something that almost completely destroys him. Um, and they can no longer like be in love or find love because they aren't the same people they used to be. Yep, and that's beautiful and poetic. Except I wish she didn't end up with like a seventeen-year-old girl instead. Yeah, that that's part's the only weird. bad thing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm like. Men have been weird in literature since the beginning of time. It's not that strange. <laughs> yes. And it's like, you know, it's kind of weird fancy stuff, right? So it's like, okay. Yeah. Weird, yeah. like, yeah. Um, also, 
the whole like in the in the movie it almost feels like his revenge is ultimately a good thing, right? Like it drives him to get what he wants, and in the end he gets what he wants, and that's good. He gets. They make the son of, they make her son, Mercedes's son, and Fernand's son, like secretly Edwin's son instead, which just makes no sense. Um, and so like he gets a son that he never had, and he gets to kill uh, his rival in a duel, and he gets his what girl back, but he doesn't get his girl back in the book. Uh he doesn't kill Fernand in a duel. He specifically says that duels are dumb. Like in like the second part of the book out of like the eight parts that it is. Don't quote me on that. But like, he's talking to two, two guys and he's like, he's specifically like, don't do a duel. Duels are dumb. Like if your heart's in it, you have to sit and like wait to like actually get what you want. Right. Because he's all about revenge and like this slow burn, and so why would he do a duel for anything that isn't trivial? You know, this is his mindset. Yep. Um, and then he ends up like it's the the book goes out of its way to demonstrate that the revenge that he's in enacting is very bad because it specifically destroys the lives of innocents around him and innocents around the family, like around these three men that he's getting revenge on. Uh, The, he ends up accidentally causing the death of two individuals from, uh, from Villefort's family that are specifically like, these are innocents, right? These are innocents that are casualties of his reign of terror on this group of people in this region of France. For sure. Anyways, it's not a it's not a happy story. It's like it's a cautionary tale, you know. Anyways, like over your anger, um, and move on. Basically, don't let don't let don't let anger and revenge consume you, right? Because ultimately, that's not something that you have the power to fix. Right? Did that make any sense? No, yeah, it totally makes Dante's entire arc is unlearning the anger and revenge that he learned in the hardship of the Chateau d'If. Even though we, the character, or even though we, the reader, are living vicariously through him as the character getting revenge on everybody that ever wronged him, because let's face it, that's really satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, like that's what yeah. he learns, right? He learns. That's what that, he learns. Yeah. He learns that none of this is doing him any good, and that's actually what Abbe Ferrier is trying to tell him at the beginning. He's like, "You can't do this out of revenge. You can't do anything out of revenge, because ultimately it will destroy you." as it destroys them. And that's what he finally learns at the end, and that's why he has mercy on Danglars at the end of the book. And he lets him go. Um, yep. Instead of killing him. Which is good! He's learning, right? He's a flawed human who's learning. He's not a paragon hero who's going to dash in with a sword and a smile on his face and save the maiden and win the day. Yep. That's my... That's my rant. Kind of Monte Cristo is dumb. Not the not the book, the movie. Kind yeah. of Monte Cristo 2002 is dumb. If you watch it for Abbe Faria, you know, if you might watch for Michael Harris or Henry Cavill or Luis Guzman or Guy Pierce. Fine, whatever. But like that's it's not the definitive version. <laughs> Go read the book, please. Um well, nothing except that my laptop is starting to get low on power i've probably got like 20 minutes left so if you have anything else to say say it now or forever hold your peace i feel like i should end on like a positive note okay um i mentioned that there's a sequel to 17,776 football which i'm very excited about (laughs) um uh, yes very good um oh you know what positive note uh wga and sac after strike yeah, I am. I am pro union. I have always been pro union. Go get your bag, guys, and hopefully, you know, other unions will do the same and get their bag because we're yeah. very proud. It's a good thing. 
Yes, it's a good thing. I really it's, like that yeah. the thing that I sent you earlier. The, uh, the thing about the um the Oppenheimer actors leaving the premiere yeah, early. They left yeah. the premiere to go. To I mean, they didn't go straight to the picket line, but they respected their position as union members to yeah. not promote the movie, and that's great. Uh -huh. that's, that's exactly great. what we should be doing. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. There's been a lot of conflicting advice online about how to best support the writer's strike. Mm. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I I hear anything more about it. I guess I'm gonna cut this whole part out because I yeah because <laughs> it's not really like I mean the best way to support it is by not crossing except you know stand in solidarity, which yep. we will always do with unions. Exactly. Do you want to hear a cool fact? Yes, cool fact. Go. I learned I learned something really cool. Mm. Um, so in, within the Scottish Premiership, which is the Scottish version of the Premier League, if that's what sure. you want to think about it, the highest yeah. flight of um, Scottish Scottish soccer or Scottish football. Right? There is a club yeah. with possibly the coolest name I have ever heard mm -hmm. of for a football club. They're called Heart of Midlothian. That's an excellent name for a football team. Oh my gosh! So good. That's so good. I love that. So it comes from it comes from uh, in Edinburgh. Um, there was a building known as. Uh, let me see where it is. Old Tollbooth. It was a very important building in Edinburgh for like uh, four hundred years. Um. And eventually it was demolished. I, I, I didn't hear how. Um, and in its place, there was a... They eventually put a... Um, what's a mosaic? Uh, like in the stones there. That is a heart shape. And it has Heart of Midlothian there. And so that's what they used. Um, along with a book by Sir Walter Scott. Called The Heart of Midlothian. Uh, as like inspiration for their name because they're based in that part of Edinburgh, which I think is just awesome. Uh, another good one is Tottenham Hotspur. It's excellent name. Also, uh, the Wolverhampton Wolves. Like, also that's excellent. Their, that's their that's their club name, right? Beautiful. And then like you come over here to the U.S. to the NFL, and it's like you're back. Okay, good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what happened? I, I closed it. I was an idiot. I closed it. <laughs> Oops. Oh, no. I was closing tabs and I closed And then, like, this is, like, the most heartfelt part. Like, I was just, you know, like, me being... Me being For sincere. You poor thing. What part did you hear? What did you, what did you get? What did I get to? Um, The last one I remember is Wolverhampton Wolves. Okay. You were, like, gearing up to talk about more. I don't remember what they were, though. Yeah. Well, no. So, um... I just think that in the U.S., like, right, like, when you, when you get to, like, the NFL, it's, like, Philadelphia Eagles from Philadelphia, or Green Bay Packers, they're from Green Bay, you know? Oh. And we just need, we just need more, more unique names, more clever names, I think, in the U.S. with our sports, names that kind of define little tidbits of who they are they have a little more personality than just the place name yeah i mean so, we've got a little bit of that but it's like been so weirdly like capitalism has kind of ruined it a little bit honestly because like it's the utah like, jazz used to be the new orleans jazz which makes sense because new orleans is jazz. <laughs> nothing yeah. in utah is jazz <laughs> or like the la dodgers the reason yeah. that they're called that is because they used to be in Brooklyn, and Brooklyn used to have this thing called trolley dodgers because people yeah. would dodge out of the way of trolleys uh -huh. on the street. Like, I think those yeah. are really cool, right? Yeah, those are or fun. The, a, a recent example in baseball is the Cleveland Guardians. Yeah, because that's not just it's not just a mascot, right? It refers specifically to the stone statues within the city, which is so cool. So cool. Thank you for joining us on this. Uh, I'm gonna call it, politely call it something of a train wreck for my mental capacity. <laughs> Rebecca did well. She she had a good good speak. She spoke good.
Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Screenwalkers. You can view show notes at our website, screenwalkerpod.com, screenwalkerspod.com. Don't forget the S. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.